Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. This ministry is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. Today's message is titled, Shut Up and Move, and it is part of the Move Sermon Series. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, you can check us out at our website at bccma.org, or you can always send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, here's Pastor Phil McCutcheon. We're a third week of the series, and we're talking about the nation of Israel going from the wilderness, which is a type of a place where you were suffering because of your own sins, or you were suffering because of the sins of others, maybe both. And then he took them out of there, then they were in the wilderness, and they were supposed to be there for about 11 days, and they spent 40 years. They got stuck. So this series is really about getting you unstuck from being in between Satan's worst and God's best, because that's what happens to a lot of us. We do leave, we do leave those situations that are extremely difficult and oppressive, and we do leave a life of sin. We get forgiveness for our sins, but then we don't go all the way. And uh, so today uh, we do the third message on how, how to go all the way with God, I guess is what we could call it. And I'm going to call today's message, Shut Up and March. And you'll, you'll find out in a few minutes why I'm calling it that. But, but it's about the city uh, of Jericho, the, 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 the nation of Israel. We call them the children of Israel because they started as a guy named Israel who had 12 sons. And so that's when we call them the children of Israel. Uh, Jacob's name uh, was changed from Jacob to Israel, which means blessed. So these blessed people are, have crossed the River Jordan, and now before them is the city of Jericho. The city of Jericho with these walls thick enough that two horses could, uh, horse chariots, two chariots could run abreast around the wall. It was so thick. So there's thick wall, thousands of people inside, a mighty army, and with, with powerful people inside. And God said, I'm going to give you the city. Now, if you want your life to be in a better space, in a better place, more peace, more real lasting pleasure, more meaningful purpose, well, God knows the way, and God shows the way. We used to sing a song that says, God knows the way through the wilderness. All you have to do is follow. Hudson Taylor, that man who basically invented foreign missions, went to the country of China when there was, there was no way of mass communication. There was no way of, of raising large amounts of money like there are today. And he went totally depending on God to provide for him. And here's what Hudson Taylor said. Depend on it. God's will done in God's way will never lack God's power and provision. So today is about doing God's will. It's about, and we're not going to talk about how to know God's will. That's a whole other sermon. That's a whole other series, perhaps. How to hear the voice of God, know God's will. So today... Let's not worry about knowing God's will. Let's just talk about being responsible for what you know. Being responsible for what you know God is calling you to do. And what you know God is telling you to do. Because God knows how to conquer your Jericho. You don't know how to conquer your Jericho. God knows how to conquer your Jericho. God knows how to take you all the way into his best. From where you, where you are to where you belong. Now there are two main ideas I want to get across today. One idea is to get from where you are to where you belong, you're going to have to be willing to be uncomfortable. I said you're going to have to be willing to be uncomfortable. 
You're not going to get from where you are to where you belong and stay comfortable. The success, the success zone is not the comfort zone. The blessing zone is not the comfort zone. So that's the first thing. The second thing that I want you to, 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 to get across to you today is you, if you're going to go from where you are to where you belong, you will, are going to have to decrease your options. Someone said, when we decrease our options, we increase our power. Let's all say that together. When we decrease our options, we increase our power. And I'm going to get back to that at the end of the message today. But I, before, before we get, get under that, though, I want to show you a, a video of a cute little boy. It went viral this week. A cute little boy who demonstrates what I mean by powering through your discomfort and powering through and, and, and accepting a lack of options. You're going to see this little boy. His life boiled down to one option, and he powered through his discomfort. I think you're going to, I think you're going to like it. Let's go. Fun fast. Let's go, boy. Don't fall. You gotta stay your feet. Come on. Phoenix, go straight through. Back up. Back up. Make a fight. He says a good one. Back up. Now hit hard. Hit with the heel. Come on, Phoenix. Hit with the heel. You're not listening. Hit with the heel. Yes, you can do it. Come on. Yes, you can do it. But you gotta do this now. Look at me. You have to hit it hard, though. You cannot hit it light. You have to hit it hard. Go. Anybody relate to that? <laughs> uh, there, most of us in, in America, probably in the world, live by two guiding principles. Two guiding principles guide our lives. One is experiential pleasure, and the other is the happiness of others. Two, two principles that most of us live by, and most Americans live by, probably most people in the world experiential pleasure, what feels good, and what makes other people happy. Now, these are certainly ideas that are given to us by God, and there's, there's, these are good things. Uh, I, you know, I, I know some of you probably struggle with the second one. Probably, probably you don't have a, a, a big uh, part of you that cares about the happiness of others. There might be somebody here like that this morning. But most people, most of you care about being made to feel good yourself, and you care about having pleasure, and most of you have some concern with the happiness of others. And if you can get those two things going in your life, you feel like life is pretty good. If you're, if you're, if you're having a good experience in life, and the people around you are reasonably happy, life is good. But what are we leaving out here? We're leaving something out. You guessed it, God it's not that we don't believe in God, because we believe in God. According to a recent uh, Pew research, 60% of Americans pray daily. 60% pray daily. So they believe, they believe there's somebody out there, somebody out there. And 80% and, and of Americans pray occasionally, like at least once a month. 
So we don't have a problem with people not believing in God. Uh, it's not, and it's not, so we ask God for help, but so we do that. But that's not the same as being committed to his pleasure and being submitted to his authority. The conviction of the person of faith is that God has final authority, that God is wiser than me, that God is bigger than me, that God is greater than me, and God cares more than I do. He even cares more for me than I care for me, and that's saying a lot. <laughs> so let's consider what a life would look like if we, we still have, you're not, you're not a healthy person if you don't enjoy things that are pleasurable. You don't enjoy beautiful sunsets and good tasting food and a back, back rub once in a while. You know, that, that, that God created you that way. And God created you to care about others. But, it, but mainly, God created you to glorify him. God put you on this earth to bring glory to him and to bring his incredible plan to pass that someday we're going to see it come in full fruition and we're going to wonder, all of us, even myself included, going to wonder, why did I spend more time seeking the will of God? Amen? Uh, years ago, talking about this principle of obeying God, but it, it's apart from my experience of pleasure. Our, our uh, denomination that I'm a part of, uh, the church denomination, the minister's fellowship that I'm a part of, has an annual conference, and every, uh, every year we usually vote on somebody's office, and uh, the, 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 the head of the organization, the superintendent, I think we vote on that office like every four years. So 38 years ago, there was a wonderful man who we came to this area of the country, New England, and served under, and uh, we just, Sherry and I just loved him. He was just an extraordinary person, an extraordinary uh, kind, he, I guess he was one of the kindest men I've ever met. And so we go to, we go to the annual conference one year, and, and there's an election. And uh, so the, the, uh, our, our present leader's name goes up on the board, and then this other guy gets nominated. Now, now just to give you an example of of this other man and, and why I might not be excited about him. The minute his name goes up, my heart sank. No, no God, you don't want him to be the head of our organization. And uh, to give you an example uh, of why I might feel that way is I remember one time uh, a guy in my church was doing youth ministry in the area and he, had a, he did a poster for this youth gathering that had the word fun in it. I remember being in a meeting with this man who said the word fun should not be on any publicity for a Christian event. So that gives you a picture. Wasn't exactly a guy who was just a joy to be around, you know? And wouldn't you know, he got elected. So here I go. And some of you think that you're the only people in the world. You, you don't think that Pastor Phil understands a desire to criticize leadership. You think you're the only ones who, who know how to criticize leadership. You're, you think you're the only ones who get in your car leaving the service saying something bad about the leader. I know how to do that, too. I just want you to know that. I know how that works. And so we, I go to get in the car with another couple, and, um, and Chris, I know what we're going to talk about over lunch. <laughs> 
And I, we sat in the car, and that's been the days of CDs. CD started playing, and here's the words that came out of the song by some singers named, you probably won't know, Donnie and Reba McIntyre. A McIntyre. Is it McIntyre? You know, Judy. It is McIntyre, isn't it? Anyway, here's the song. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down. How did they do it? March around the city for six days in a row. The seventh day, I'm going to give you the town. Don't you say a single word, the Lord commanded. If you're going to tear down Jericho, tear Jericho down one time for six days, seven days the seventh, don't you make a single sound. How did they do it? How did they do it? The, the, they heard the Lord say, shut up and march. Don't go talking about your leader. Shut up and march. Those are the words that came out of the loudspeakers of that car. I said, devil, rebuke, I rebuke you. No complaining about your rank or position until that trumpet blazes, shut up and march. When we can meet the battle we face in life, the, uh, when we can meet the battles we face in life, the walls can t come tumbling down. How do we do it? First, we're going to take orders from what the Spirit says, take orders from the fearless one. Then we're going to see, too, with, see with, with the Spirit's eyes the vision that the battle's won. First, we're going to hear it. Then we're going to see it. First, we're going to hear it. Then we're going to do it. Keep the battle on your tongue. How do we do it? Hear the Lord say, shut up and march. I knew that day there was a God, <laughs> and I knew that I was a sinner. <laughs> Joshua chapter 6, verse 8, when Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord. Whoops, sorry, I skipped over. Joshua 5. Joshua 5 should be first. When Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and demanded, are you friend or foe? Neither one, he replied. I am the commander of the Lord's army. At this, Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I am at your command. Joshua said, what do you want your servant to do? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. And underline this, and Joshua did as he was told. Not what he felt like doing. He did as he was told. Joshua 6, verse 8, when Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard, mar guard marched ahead of the priest who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All of this time the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua had commanded the people, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voice, do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout then shout. So I want to give you three things today about moving your life from where you are to where you belong. One is we move our lives to a desired destination. We do it when we yield to God. It requires yielding to God. Secondly, yielding to God brings full expression of his love and his miracles. Thirdly, we ultimately realize obedience will seem unreasonable but actually be brilliant. Moving our lives to the required destination. First of all, let's talk about yielding to God. I know that's a concept that may be foreign to some, and it's not popular. I understand that, and I understand why. It's not always popular with me. But I know it's necessary. 
If I really believe that God is all-wise and all-knowing and I believe he loves me more than I love myself, I cannot possibly believe that I should be in charge of God. I cannot possibly believe that I should be telling him how everything has to be done. But there should be, there has to be times in my life when I am a blank slate and I only know to do what I am being told. Amen? Miroslav Volf, a great intellectual, has written a book recently called The Public Faith. And in it, he says these words, many today would not care whether or not they live with or against the grain of reality. They want what they want. And the fact that they want it is a sufficient justification for wanting it. Some of us go about seeking God the way we might look for a jacket to match a new pair of slides. We picture our desired result, and then we construct an image of God that fits that. But think about it. The, the God that we're being called to yield to is the God who gives life to the dead. He, he's the God that calls into existence things that do not exist. I, th 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 there's a difference, and Miroslav Valve talks about it in the book, there's a difference between optimism and hope. Optimism is a human emotion based on what we can see, based on past experience, based on what we might even believe. But there's no hope in optimism. Hope is when something can be done outside of you. Something miraculous can come from another world. Something that is possible when everything around you says it's impossible. That's hope. And the world that I live in today doesn't need more optimism. We need hope that a God of the miraculous can invade our space and cause the walls of Jericho to fall. See, the Bible never makes humankind the king and God the servant. The Bible never makes God a mere means to my end. The Bible never exalts the self above the creator. Romans 9.20 says, you are a mere human. Who are you, a mere human, to argue with God? Joshua had spent his entire life as a servant, so he was, he was already formed for this. So he didn't flinch when God's representative appeared to him in Joshua chapter 5.14. That, that crew 40 years before wouldn't have done anything that God told them to do. And what happened to them? They stayed stuck for 40 years in the desert till they all died. Listen, there's a lot of times in life, I believe, this is my philosophy, that God is flexible with me. I believe God's flexible about a lot of things. Every once in a while, though, to go where I need to go and be what a guy needs to be, I must face the fact that God is going to be very inflexible with me that he's going to have one way and it's going to be his way or the highway. Can you handle that? Can you handle a God who can tell you what to do? Joshua 5.14, look at, look at a, a, a Joshua's response. He fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I am at your command. Now, traditionalist, and I understand why there is a, a, a negative response to preaching about obedience and yielding and submission. I understand that. 
and religion is partly at fault. Traditional religion has gotten God wrong by making him look angry and inflexible and a God who's anxious to judge us. One of the fallacies we've taught is that God can't look on sin. So that if I'm sinning, God cannot look at me or be around me. And, and we've taken Jesus on the cross and we said, see there, on the cross, Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So, so I've heard preachers say it. I probably have said it too. God couldn't look on sin. So we look down Jesus and because the Bible says Jesus became sin for us, that, those, that, the, one who knew, that we, the one who knew no sin became sin for us so we could, we could be forgiven of our sin. So when God looked down on the one and he became sin, God couldn't look at him. But, but it, it wasn't that God couldn't look at him because of his sin. It was because that he had to experience the full penalty of sin. And the full penalty of sin was total. The ultimate penalty for your sin and mine is what's called hell, and hell is separation from God. So Jesus had to experience complete separation from God in order to pay the penalty for our sin. It wasn't that God couldn't look on sin. Like, like Psalmist David said, if I make my bed in hell, God, you are there. Jesus came to this earth to eat with sinners. Jesus came to this earth to walk with the prostitutes and the people that are far from God. And that's who he seemed to prefer in life. Don't tell me that God can't look at me when I'm sinning. God moves close to me when I'm sinning. Sometimes I wish he wouldn't. <laughs> it's like, go away, God. Come back tomorrow when I'm doing better. Progressives, though, have gotten God wrong by making him out to be a weak pushover, unwilling to send us into battle, Unwilling to make us uncomfortable. This deity that we that progressives have created today, th this deity could never demand that Abraham go through the motions of offering his son as a sacrifice. Could never ask Jesus to go to go to the cross and give his life for our sins. Could never ask Apostle Paul to live a life of celibacy so he could honor God and achieve the purpose of God for his life. We would never, we would never allow for a God who would do that. This deity is only disturbed. This deity of the progressives is only disturbed by unkindness. And God is disturbed by unkindness. He's disturbed by unkindness and prejudice and racism and all those horrible and, and, and hate. He is disturbed by those things. Don't get me wrong. But this God that we have created could never win any battles. This God that we have created could never be a winning coach of a, of a sports team. You come by our gymnasium someday, you wonder why, why the BCA basketball team goes to the playoffs every year. This tiny little school, this tiny little school goes to the playoffs every year, and you, you will see the, one of the meanest men in the room out there making these kids run their guts out doing suicide drills because we don't have a big enough team to have a bench, so these guys got to play all whatever... 40 minutes or whatever you play in high school basketball. If, he were, if Dan Morais were a weak leader, if he, would, if he were like the God that some of you have created, he would go, are you guys tired? Just sit down over here. We don't want you to get, because if you're tired, that means we're doing something wrong. If, you're, if your muscles are hurting, then this isn't right. No. And God is at least as tough as Dan Morais. <laughs> at least. Have you confused what God feels for you for what he wills for you? 
I said, have, have you confused what God feels for you? What it, God realizes that to love you, he must sometimes confuse you. You know that? God must tell you to do something that you why have you got to shut up in March? Go around the walls of Jericho and don't say anything. I could just imagine them grumbling back in their tent. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Take a walk and be quiet. That's like, that's going to win a battle. And you know, you know what I thought I was reading? I was thinking about that early this morning. I think, you know, I think I got an insight there that most of the time that God asks me to do stuff, it's easy stuff and simple stuff. God just asked me to go across the room and say, hi. Everybody say, hi. How many times did God ever told you to go say hi to somebody and you didn't? Why? It's just all he, all he said was go say hi. Go say hello. <laughs> is that hard? <laughs> so 99% so of what God asked you to do is just so, you know, I was telling, you know, like, uh, um, Yesterday, I, I'm dealing with this problem. I'm going to talk, get into what it is. It takes too much time. But, and I really felt this. And I'm, gonna, I, I, I'm excited about talking about hearing God's voice because that's, that's a whole other thing. And I know that can sound really weird and, and woo to, you know, to us about hearing God's voice. But it's really not that weird. But I just know I heard God's voice to, in response to this problem to start singing a little song that I grew up singing called Only Believe. And I started singing that song. And all my doubt lifted. I started crying. I could feel the presence of God. I just, started, I just obeyed God and sang a song. So about, I would say 90-something percent of what God's going to ask you to do is going to be the easiest stuff you've ever thought of. It's going to be like make a phone call, go say hi, uh, sing a song, go pray. Uh, it, some of the hard stuff might be, he might say, don't eat lunch today, fast and pray. That, that's the really hard stuff. And every once in a while, yes, God does tell people, go to Africa. That does happen. That does happen. So that could happen if you get on God's channel, but it usually doesn't. And, and, and we know there's some people that are called to, to be tortured for their faith. Some people hear that from God. So I don't want to make it like that can't happen. But see, we just want... We get in this, I know, what I, well, I'm human like you. I, I just want all my pain to stop. I get it. But to really go to your desired destination, implore, let, let, me, let me challenge you. Implore your mentors, your coaches, your leaders, whatever you call them, that older, that Christian friend that you go to for counsel, implore them to help you to discover the will of God. Beg them to help you to find out the will of God. Get beyond just asking them to help you to stop the pain and grow up enough that you can ask them to help me find out what pleases the Lord. Because that's how the walls of Jericho are going to fall. Amen? Mike Winger says, because God is love, any act against God, no matter how loving it feels, is an act against love. I like that. So let's move to the next point. That is yielding to God, bringing full expression of miracles and love. There's a dimension of God. You will never know till you obey him, till you do something that will feel uncomfortable. It opens up. Blessing, it opens up a dimension of God 
It opens up a supernatural dimension of God that just being a person who goes to church and prays, which are good things, you ought to do all those things, but those, those unusual acts of obedience that he calls you to will open up God to you in a way that you perhaps have not experienced him, but you will be happy. An article in the New York Times published in 1990 entitled, Believers Score in Battle Over the Battle of Jericho. This is really important, because if Jericho happened, if those walls really fell, the way the Bible says they fell, when they said they would fall, and there's no report of any earthquakes in the area, then your, Jer- your walls of Jericho can fall. Your life can change. Your circumstances can be impacted by the power of God. He went on to say in the article by John Noble Wilford, after years of doubt, many archaeologists' new analysis of excavation has yielded a wide range of evidence supporting the biblical account about the fall of Jericho. It may well be true that in the words of the old spiritual, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. In fact, see, archaeologists have been saying before, no, that didn't happen because, they, you know, what they found out they'd been digging in the wrong place. When they dug in the wrong place, they found it. Think about it. The only thing is, there's an error there in that song. Joshua did not fight the battle of Jericho. Joshua and the whole community obeyed God, and God fought the battle of Jericho. We hear the word of divine promise because God is love. We trust in a God that brings new things like an aged Sarah. He, he gives birth to a child. That's the God we're talking about. And I, I, know, I know that right now, in the state of the world, the state of the culture right now, there's a, I know there's a great deal of fear among many Christians that if we exalt the word of God as the final word, that we will, we will call on commitments that are not popular in the culture. And there is a fear among many believers that if we do it, our churches will not grow. There's a fear that people will leave our church if we preach obedience to God. If we preach, there, there, there are things that are in the word of God that will make a lot of people uncomfortable. There are standards of righteousness and standards of purity that will make people uncomfortable. And so people are saying, if you preach those things, if you ask for obedience to God, if you lift up the word of God as the final authority, you will not, your church cannot possibly grow. That is if you're serving a a human God. But if you're serving the God of Jericho, we will not grow Because we have the approval of the culture, we will grow because we have the blessing of God. I said, we will not grow. Yeah, you can give the Lord a hand on that. We will not grow because we have the approval of the culture. We will grow because we have the approval of God. And one thing God commands of me is that I not be a man pleaser. God has commanded me that I must not, in my preaching, be a pleaser of man, but a pleaser of God. And I would rather please the one who flattened the walls of Jericho than the one who can just criticize me a little bit. I'd rather please the one who raised Jesus from the dead than the one who can take their family and leave my church. 
What are we going to go after, Bethany? Are we going to go after the blessing of God or the approval of human beings? I know where I stand. And you want to go with me, we're going to go for the blessing of God. That doesn't mean we will be unkind. That doesn't mean we will be dismissive. And that does not mean that we will in any way communicate a doctrine of legalism, a doctrine of anger, our doctrines of hate, or that we will any, in any way communicate that God doesn't love sinners because he does. Amen. What obedience is God asking for? Well, Jesus told the man with a withered arm, stretch out your hand. I told you, it's simple stuff. <laughs> Jesus told a paralytic, take up your bed and walk. Jesus told the grieving sisters of their dead brother Lazarus, take away the stone from the tomb. God told an economically distressed nation, bring all the tithes, bring a tenth of what you have into the storehouse and see if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there won't be room enough for you to receive. See, God is withholding some of his blessings, waiting to see if we're going to obey him. Because when we obey him, we prove our faith. The Bible says in the book of James, faith without works is dead. When we obey him, we prove our faith. We release the power. We release the full power of grace. Grace is a beautiful doctrine. And grace is something that God shows to every person. Every person who's breathing is receiving grace in order to breathe. Every person who's not being damned for their sins is receiving grace. Every person who can ask God to forgive me multiple times like I have and be forgiven and, and, and not have to even bring it up to you, not even feel I have to tell you, well, I did this, this, and this. I don't have to tell you because I have encountered God's grace. But if I want to release the full dimension and power of God's grace, I will do it through humility and obedience. Because God says, the Bible says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Amen? I could go on and on in this vein, but C.S. Lewis says, obedience is the key that opens every door. So let's stop cheating people out of the richest blessings of God by just telling them there's an alternative. <laughs> you know, it would, for a lot of people, it would be like, it would be like if, 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 if Sherry and I, when we said our vows at County Street in New Bedford all those years ago, if at the, end of the, the, at the end of the ceremony and the reception, I said, Sherry, let's go. She said, go, I'm not going with you. I just wanted to have a wedding. No, but she, obviously she didn't do that. She went with me. She, she became my wife. We had three beautiful children in this beautiful life that God has given us because we, we didn't just say vows we lived a life together. And why would you want to, to, to embrace a faith that all you do is say some vows and not enjoy the life? Jesus said, I come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. This is not a threat to some horrible thing, man. This is an open door to blessing. This is an open door to live the blessings of God, just like I've outlined to you and illustrated the blessing of marriage. Finally, we ultimately realize obedience will seem unreasonable, but actually be brilliant. You know, here's the deal. 
And here's what I think we're, we're, where some of us are maybe, maybe missing it or some people are missing it today. We have told ourselves that people don't want a challenge, that they don't want something that's hard, that people only want to hear about something that's easy. But I believe that's a lie. I believe that I'm standing in front of a group of people right now that want to be given a challenge. I believe you want something that will cause you to get out of bed in the morning. I believe you want something that, that is difficult for you to do. You know, I, let me illustrate. A few months ago, guess what happened on Mount Everest? They had a log jam. So many people showed up to climb the highest mountain in the world in sub-zero temperatures, knowing that some of them would lose their life. So many people showed up that they had a total logjam. In fact, some died because of the logjam. So I'm telling you that I believe that God has put in the heart of human beings to want to climb a mountain. And I believe I'm standing in front of a, a, a room with people. I believe I'm standing in front of a room with people right now that are saying, Pastor, show us the mountain. Amen? Show us the mountain. When we decrease our options, we increase our power. If you decide you're going to climb a mountain, you're going to cancel everything. You're just going to go climb the mountain. A parking lot is wide. But you'll never get anywhere on a parking lot. A highway is narrow. But a highway will take you to Bangor, Maine or Miami, Florida. A light bulb is, illuminates, and they're nice. It's nice to have light bulbs, isn't it? But a laser beam will cut a steel, piece of steel in two. Talking, you know, you can take walks, and you will improve your health, I suppose, by taking walks. But CrossFit will transform your health. What, what do you want? Do you want transformation? Or do you want comfort? I believe you want transformation. I believe you want to climb the mountain. I believe you want to find out from God what is the key that will open the door for my life to go to a whole other level. I believe you want to know from God what is the key that will open the door? What is the act of obedience that will take my life to a whole other level and you start living every day with your ears open to what is the next thing I need to obey? To open the windows of heaven and cause the blessings of God to pour out and pour me out a blessing that I don't have room enough to receive it. Would you, would you stand? Now, I want every person in this room right now who would say, Pastor Phil, I believe God is leading me to an, an act of obedience. I believe he's been speaking to my heart. And I'd, I'd like to come and pray about that. I want you just to slip out of the place where you're standing and come, and come down here and let's spend some time in prayer about that. If you have anything going on in your life, you need prayer, I want you to invite you down right now to come and pray about that. Communion is here also available for you. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offer a prayer for you in just a moment. I'm going to give you just 30 seconds to come.
Amen. I'm going to pray. Father, I pray for these beautiful people who've come forward today and said, Pastor, I, I know God really, they're not talking to me, I understand. They're talking to you and they're saying, God, I need to take the next step of obedience to you and I'm going to walk through that door of obedience. And, I, and I, there, there's an area, arena of my life, there's an area of my life that I haven't let you orient that area. It may be in a relationship, it may be with finances, it may be with schedule, it may be with morals and my, my, it may be with my sexuality. It may be with my ministry or the ministry you want me to do. God, I, wanna, I want you to change my heart so I can obey. I, I want you to fix my heart. Father, I want you to fix my heart. I'm glad you love me and I'm glad you don't condemn me and you, you don't bring the curses of uh, of the Old Testament law down on me for my disobedience. You protect me from that through the death of Jesus. But Father, I, won't, I, I don't want to just be protected from, from death. I want to be led into to abundant life. I, I don't want to just be protected from death, God. I want to be open. I want the door to open to abundant life. And I claim it for myself. I claim it for every person standing here in the name of Jesus.